be in Matthew 1 today, and then several other places, so if you wanted to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to be starting in verse 18. We're going to begin Matthew 1, verse 18, and moving forward from there, which is great. So if you weren't here last week, uh, we started a new sermon series called Why the Nativity, and uh, we're asking the questions about the details of the Nativity. It's really interesting. Sometimes the details in life don't matter at all right? It's the end of the journey, not how you got there. Sometimes your store made it into the gas station, even if it was on fumes and you're just happy to be there. Uh, But sometimes the details matter a lot. And what's interesting about the nativity story is that the way God brings together the birth of Christ matters. He knitted uh, fabric of redemption through history, these threads of grace through history, and they all culminate together in the birth of Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. And so as we study the nativity and we look at the details and we start to see some of the character of God, we start to see some of how he works in our lives, we start to be amazed by his glory and goodness. And so as we look at why the nativity, we're asking about the specific details of the nativity. So today we're asking, why Joseph? Have you ever wondered that? Why Joseph? What makes Joseph so special? How come he was the guy? And you know what's fascinating to me is that we often look for reasons in other people's lives as to why God used them. We look at people who have done extraordinary things in the Lord, and we think, well, they, they were special. I mean, they had it really going on, and that's why God worked in their life. I mean, think about that. We put people like Billy Graham on a pedestal. We put people like George Mueller on a pedestal. We put people... um, like Wycliffe on a pedestal. We put our missionaries out there in the foyer on a pedestal. If we were really honest, I would be on a pedestal for a lot of you, right? Because we, I know, thank you for the laugh that humbles me. I really, no, honestly, that's a good thing. Because the deal is, is it's not extraordinary people that do extraordinary things. Instead, what we see in Scripture is that God does extraordinary things through ordinary people through ordinary people, which is really so important for us to remember. That means that each of you, each of you can be an agent of God's powerful grace as you walk through your life with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to have a platform. You don't have to be a person who other people think are important or beautiful or talented. If you have a heart beating in your chest and you have breath in your lungs, and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then you are ready for an extraordinary God to work in your life. And so when we ask the question, why Joseph? That is the answer. Thank you for listening to my TED Talk. Let's pray. (laughs) God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. And so we we know that that's true, uh, but let's uh, let's listen to the story come together. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. I'm going to conclude at the end of the chapter in verse 25. It's not going to be on the screen this time, which means two things. I want you to practice two things. Either read along in your Bible or just listen. It's okay to close your eyes and listen if that's where you're at, as long as you'll open them again when you're done. Okay, Scout's Honor, I know some of you were up late last night on Amazon picking out your gift for your loved one or yourself, uh, but let's, let's be in the Word. Uh, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. 
Amen. The word of the Lord. Can you imagine being Joseph in this story? We don't know a lot about Joseph. In fact, there's no recorded word ever spoken by Joseph in the Bible. Realize that? There's songs. There's songs about Mary, right? She sings uh, when she receives the good news from the angel. Uh, There's conversations that she's apparently involved in. But Joseph is a strong, silent type, we could say, right? There's nothing recorded of what he says. And there's only a little bit recorded about what he does. Okay, so what does he do? Well, he finds out that his fiancée is pregnant and that it's not his child. Well, that's a nice Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then he has to consider what to do, and then, then he has a dream, which is cool, and he responds to the dream. Uh, and then he has to raise the Son of God. Uh, he has to flee as a refugee. Uh, he loses Jesus in the temple. Can you? That's a bad reputation throughout history. You're the guy who lost Jesus. Thanks, Joseph. You lost the Messiah. We can't even trust you with anything, can we? Yeah, so we, we don't know a lot about Joseph. There are a few other things that we know. Uh, Joseph was a carpenter. He worked with wood and maybe stone. He worked with his hands. Have you ever met a guy who works with his hands for his whole life? What are his hands like? Strong hands, thick hands, working hands. What was he going to be like? Probably deliberate, probably thoughtful. He didn't have any Milwaukee tools in his workshop. Nothing came together quickly, right? Everything had to be done by hand. If it was smooth, it was because he made it smooth. If it fit together right, it's because he made it fit together right. So when he was building things, he, he worked those mortises and those tenons. He got everything to come together well, and he supported his family. But we also know that he just supported his family. You remember what they offered for Jesus when he was dedicated in the temple? Did they bring a sheep? Did they bring a ram? They brought the least sacrifice they could give, which was the most sacrifice they could give. They just brought two birds. Two birds as a gift of redemption of the firstborn between them and God. And so they didn't have a lot. But I think what they did have was love. I think what they did have is faithfulness and consistency because we see that in their story. I want to go back to just for just a moment. Joseph is an ordinary person just like you or I. And a moment ago, I said about Joseph that one day he discovers that his beloved, his fiance, is pregnant. Now, from Joseph's point of view, Joseph gets betrothed or engaged to Mary. It doesn't work like it does now. Okay, so Joseph didn't show up with a ring and ask Mary personally. The the culture had arranged marriages still at that time, and that was for the sake of protection and love of children okay? It didn't work in the, in the world at that point in time to sort of go out on your own. You needed to protect each other and work with each other to bring about good in life because the world was largely an incredibly dangerous place full of incredibly dangerous people. And so this arranged marriage thing was not a, a heavy-handed, authoritative play on raising kids. It was a, a loving and constructive and wise way of raising kids. And so that meant that Joseph's father met with Mary's father. It also meant that a gift would be given to Joseph's father, or Mary's father, and a gift would be given to Mary. Now, once again, our culture tends to look down on the concept of a marital gift, or we would call it a dowry in our culture, and the reason is because we feel like we're, we're buying those people, but that's not it at all. When you are receiving someone's daughter, you're saying, I'm going to care for her, I'm, I'm going to be a father to this young lady. My son is going to be a husband to this young lady, and we have the ability to provide for her. So this is a demonstration, again, of care and love. Now, in our culture, do engagements last every time? No. In fact, I was shocked when I was in seminary because I met several seminary professors and their wives, and their story would go like this. Well, when we were in college, I was dating this really handsome basketball player. And then everybody's eyes would get really big and start to mist a little bit. And then they'd say, and his name was Tim. But the husband's name is John. And you were like, wait a minute. This is not a romantic story like I thought it was. And Tim and I were in love and we were engaged. But then one day, John walked in. And then John says something like, 
I saw her and I knew she was the one and I didn't care that Tim had engaged her to be married because she was going to be mine. And I prayed that the Lord would give her to me. And, and, and so we got, we got a lot of these stories. I know we got faces like, what? But, you know, life, right? This is how it works, you know? People, people are funny. But at this point in time, when you got engaged, this was a covenant. In fact, when that whole thing was agreed upon, when the daughter was consulted and the son was consulted and everybody agreed together in unison, then there was a short celebration and a short wedding ceremony. A short wedding ceremony. Now, the wedding was not consummated, but the deal was sealed. And those two were considered as married. Isn't that wild? So they were considered as married at this point. There's no backing out at this point in time because you are married to that person. You know, this really reminds us of how Jesus is working in our life. You ever read that verse in Ephesians that says that you have received the Holy Spirit as a seal of the promise to come? Remember Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to have a wedding feast with you and you are my bride? That means that Jesus has agreed to make you his if you put his, your faith in him. And he has sealed the deal with this deposit this gift of the holy spirit in your life and since he's given the gift and since he has agreed and since you put your faith in jesus which means you have agreed that means that he's going to come back for you legally the deal is sealed and what he says he will do what will jesus do he'll do that because he's faithful to his word he always has been he always will be god does not lie and so this is how jewish betrothal worked they were married they were legally married. Joseph went back to his father's house to finish preparations to have his own household with his father's household to receive his bride into. Remember when Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. That's what he's talking about. I'm going to go to my father's household. There's work to be done before I can receive you to my household. I'm going to do work and you're going to do work. Now, as Joseph went to do work, Mary was going to do work. And what she needed to do was adorn herself in beauty. Isn't that amazing? That's what her job was. She would have begun preparations for the wedding day. She would have been collecting things to make herself beautiful. She would have been arranging with her bridesmaids to be beautiful. And they were awaiting the day for the groom to come. Now, what's crazy in this culture is that the groom could come at any time. The groom could come at any time. It could be 2 a.m., it could be 2 p.m., it could be Wednesday, it could be Sunday, but the groom was going to come as soon as he was ready, and therefore everybody was on watch for the groom, and the second wedding day was all about the groom. So Joseph was doing what? He was making his household ready, and do you think he was looking forward to this day? Do you think he was anticipating goodness? Do you think he was writing little love songs about Mary? Do you think that maybe every piece of wood he wondered where he could fit her name on? Or the little butterfly that was a symbol of their blossoming love? Or whatever it was, right? Because Joseph is a young man who is about to get married. If you've been there in your life, you know what I'm talking about. You felt like you were dancing in the clouds in that season? Like, I have got the hand of her and she's got the heart of me, right? And we're going to go through life together. And it's a beautiful thing. And so Joseph is just doing the good things that a young man does to prepare to be married. And then this happens in Luke. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to it. Wait a minute. I got this too soon. An angel shows up and says to Mary, blessed are you, right? Like there's grace and favor on you. And he says, do not be afraid. And then he says, what? You're going to have a child. He's going to be a savior of the world. Do you remember what Mary said? That doesn't work. I don't know if you know this. I'm not married yet all the way, right? I have not yet been with a man. And then what does the angel says? He says, that, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will come upon your body, will enter into your body and put a child in your womb, will cause conception to happen miraculously. And then as soon as Mary hears this, she says, let your will be done, Lord, right? Like, thank you so much. She sings this little song that some people call the Magnificat. And then right after that, it says that in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. Wow. 
So Mary rushes to go see her cousins in the country. Isn't that normal? It's kind of how it goes when there's an unexpected pregnancy, or at least it used to go that way, right? Remember that? And so she goes out there. Now there's a couple of details for us to harvest here, okay? Who were Elizabeth and Zechariah? They're the father of who? John the Baptist, that's right, which means Zechariah does what for the Lord? He's a priest. He's a high priest. So that means that Mary is of what line? The high priest's line, right? Isn't that wild? Through Mary, Jesus is a high priest. Through Mary, Jesus is a high priest. Just a small detail that matters, you know, for us because Jesus is our high priest in heaven interceding for us right now. And so Jesus is a high priest through Mary's line. And then Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child would be blessed. And blessed is she who has believed. Now, why does Elizabeth say that? What's her clue as to something happening here? The jump of joy of John, the baby in her womb. Okay, so Jesus and John are contemporaries. They're almost the same age. Their birth is separated by weeks or months. Isn't that wild? And John's ministry starts before Jesus. So how old do you think John was when he was out there ministering in the desert? Just in his 20s, right? Mid-20s. He was, a, he was a young man. He's just barely wet behind the ears. I know that if you're almost 20, you probably feel like you're not so young, but you get to grow a lot, and we're grateful for that for you. I remember being there last year. So uh, <laughs> there's a great deal of joy that's happening on this occasion. Now, it's kind of funny because over here we have Joseph, and what does he know? He's like... Uh, Sergeant Schultz, remember that? in Hogan's Heroes, I'm going to date some of you, and, and some of you need to Google that later. And, and what does Sergeant Schultz know? Nothing. He knows nothing. He never knows. I know nothing, right? And, and then what is going on over here? What do they know? They know everything. They know what they, they've heard the promise. They know what Jesus is going to do. This is amazing. You know what this reminds me? We don't know what's coming, but God does. We don't know what's coming, but God does. Have you ever encountered a difficulty in your life and you're just like, Lord, what were you thinking? I I had all this arranged. Good things were happening. I I had the perfect plans. I was getting ready for them. I had placed these plans in your hand. And look what you did, Lord. You wrecked my plans. Right? Have you been there? Me too, right? And in those moments, we need to remember We don't know what's coming, but the Lord does. Which means, what do we want to do when the plans seem like they're not going well? We want to turn to the Lord, right? Because he knows these things are coming. And so then we had Joseph. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Wow. So it was discovered. Joseph discovered a problem. Mary left, and Mary looked like Mary, and Mary came back, and Mary had a bump, and it was a bump in Joseph's road. What is he going to do? Wow, I really feel for Joseph in this moment, because Joseph is hearing this wild story. Joseph, don't worry, sweetheart. It's from the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Wow, what are you do i mean it's not mary is not into wild living she doesn't have a bad reputation remember what the lord said about her god god's grace was upon her her character was good the lord looked upon her with favor and love and what was her heart towards god it was submissive and soft towards the things of the lord she took on this great hardship for the lord she was willing to do that as a a young lady a young woman And so this trustworthy, wonderful person who is engaged to be with Joseph is saying, Joe, I know it's wild, but it happened. And so now Joseph has to think. He needs to deliberate because he's discovered a problem. It's okay to deliberate when you've discovered a problem. For some of us, we have to deliberate because we need to calm down. If that's you, you already know this, right? You know that when problems come, emotions come with it. And the emotions get big, and we've talked about this before. When the emotions get big, our thinking brain turns off, and that means we need to calm down. 
We need to not let the emotions drive us, the, the reactionism, the anger, the, the sorrow, the desire to be a bulldozer, the, the desire to be a deer in the woods and run away. We, we need to be present in the midst of those problems. We need to calm down. That's step one. But calming down isn't the only goal. We need to think through the problem. Now, sometimes when we're thinking through the problem, who is our favorite person to, discuss, to, to consult? Ourselves, right? It always starts, what do I think? What do I want? What would I like to happen in this? It's very normal. We are usually our favorite people. Some of us, however, we're our least favorite people, but we still consult ourselves. We just have bad news usually when we're consulting ourselves, right? But it says that Joseph was a just man, a righteous man, a good man. I think that means that Joseph would have been seeking the Lord. Proverbs, or Psalms 22, 26 says this, the humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. This is not just talking about physical food. This is talking about spiritual food. When you're facing a dilemma, seek the Lord and praise him and you will be satisfied. What are you hungry for? Are you hungry for understanding? Are you hungry for wisdom? Are you hungry for the way of the Lord? It says that if you seek him, you will be satisfied in him. It also gives you a clue. How should you seek him? praise with praise lord you are bigger than the problems that i'm facing i don't have to fear because of you i don't have to worry because i know that you're good now if you can't come in that way is god going to reject you no absolutely not but we do know that those who seek the lord even if they come in with their problems first usually find their mouth filled with praise when it was once filled with problems Psalm 103.5, honor his holy name, honor the Lord's holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and seek the Lord's strength and seek his face always. And this is wild because that end is an intimate encounter. It's saying face to face with God. You're connecting with him personally. Now, I've talked with a lot of people and I have not found anyone who likes to be on the phone with a customer service agent. Do you like that? Is that not your favorite thing when you know that the pause is because your phone call is going to somewhere on the other side of the international dateline? Isn't that just a delightful feeling? What a world we live in that I could talk with somebody over there to get what I need over here. I would so much rather have somebody who was with me and competent, though, right? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be nice if it wasn't customer service, but it was like your neighbor Fred, or your best friend, or the Lord, who is right there with you to work on your problems? God is offering that to you. Do you know that? That when you have an issue in your life, the Lord isn't like, take a number. It's in the tens of thousands, Lord. It says, wait on the Lord. In the word, okay? You should expect this by now. He's not like, wait on the Lord means serve him. It means do what he would like you to do. It doesn't mean get in the back of the line and I'll deal with you when I have time. The Lord is willing for you to enter his presence. You can go before the throne of grace today. And I think that Joseph knew that. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Wow. This is an all of your heart moment. I think Joseph is all in. Can you imagine the difficulty of this? She says it's the Holy Spirit. Why can't she just be honest? Maybe she is being honest. Maybe something happened to her that she doesn't even want to talk about. Maybe, maybe somebody hurt my wife. Maybe somebody did this to her and she's ashamed, but she said it's the Holy She doesn't seem ashamed. She's glowing with joy and love. Maybe it is the Holy Spirit. I don't know what I'm going to do. He's deliberating. In Luke 11, 9 through 10, Jesus is teaching about prayer. He says this, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, we're so shaped by our childhood experiences, and I think Jesus as well. Have you ever noticed how tender-hearted Jesus is towards women? Do you think that his mom maybe had a tough time when he was growing up? 
Joseph eventually trusted, as we're going to get to, that this child was from the Holy Spirit. Do you think that was the story on the block that they lived in? Do you think that this is how Mary was treated when she went to the market with Jesus in tow and then the rest of her legitimate children? Do you think this is how Joseph was treated? I, culture is not kind to people don't, who don't fit in the rubric that culture has decided is appropriate. To the rest of the world, it appeared that, jo, that Jesus was born out of wedlock. There's certain terms for that in every culture. In fact, this is one of the attacks on the early church. Your Savior wasn't even born in a right family. Doesn't even have an honest dad. Wow. That was an attack on, on our faith. And I don't think that waited until Jesus was crucified. I think that it started early. But then also this. When kids are little, they love hearing about the stories of their birth. I can remember, it seemed like every week, one of my kids would crawl into my lap when they were tiny and say, Dad, tell me about when you brought me home from the hospital. T tell, me, tell me about what it was like when you picked me up for the first time again. Because you know what's happening? There's stories of love and connection happening there. There's identity being given in that. And so when Jesus was little and he crawled up in Papa Joseph's lap and said, tell me about, what do you think Joseph said? Boy, I was so glad when you finally arrived, but it was a bumpy road, Jesus. And you probably, I've told you this a hundred times so you know this, but, but one day your mom said that she was pregnant and she told me it was from the Holy Spirit. And I had a really hard time. I didn't know what to do, Jesus. It was a confusing time. And so I did what wise people do. I turned to the Lord and I asked and I sought and I thought of the word and I pursued him and I listened to him. And just when I thought I had the answer, he did something even greater. And so Jesus knows this is true because of his relationship with his heavenly father. But I have a feeling that Jesus knows this is true because of his relationship with his earthly father. Because it says that Joseph was a righteous man. And so it says, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. And so he sought the Lord. You know what it says in Deuteronomy to do with betrothed people, engaged people who break their vow? It says to remove the evil from your midst by taking them to the edge of the town and putting them to death. That's the law. You sin, you die. But it also says to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. So Lord, I can't decide to do this. I can't decide to condemn Mary. She says this is by your hand, and who am I to judge another person's servant? Lord, I will listen to you, and I will just quietly end this and, and let this go your way because you seem to have better plans for Mary than I did. So he has decided what to do. You know, when you encounter problems, they are opportunity for faith and redemption. When you encounter problems in your life, they are great opportunity for faith and for redemption. One of my favorite words in the Bible is but. Do you love encountering a big but right in the middle of a sentence in the Bible? It is fantastic. I love big butts, and I cannot lie. When they are there, it is the best. For those of you who are traumatized, the elders are available for counseling all week long. I'm a dad, and I can't help it. There is a dad's recovery group on Wednesday morning. We have donuts and coffee, and sometimes Bob Hughes tells a joke. It happens, and we all like it. I'm just going to go through seven of the wonderful moments in the Bible where there's a but God moment. In Genesis 50, there's a story about a guy named Joseph and his family has royally messed him over. They sold him into slavery. He had a really terrible life. He was a, a slave in a house, uh, probably of the eunuch class, by the way, if you catch my drift. And uh, the lady of the house decided that he was a, a foxy fella and wanted to pursue him for more than organizing the pantry. And he did not want this because he served the Lord. So he went to prison because she falsely accused him of assaulting her. Wow. And then in prison, he's just there and forgotten. But eventually, the, the prison warden realizes that he's really administrative. So now he's a prisoner, and he's got a job to do under the warden, which means that he's everybody's favorite guy in prison and everybody's enemy in prison all at once because they can get what they want from him, but also he's like a brown nose, right? 
And, and then these guys come to prison and, and, and they have this dream. And, and then everybody says, well, there's this guy named Joseph and, and he has dreams and sometimes he can interpret them. But Joseph says, well, it's not really that I do it, but God interprets the dreams, but I'm willing to pray for you. And then Joseph interprets the dream and he tells one of the guys, hey, I've got great news. Pharaoh is going to restore you. And he tells the other guy, I've got bad news for you. Pharaoh's going to put you to death. But hey, listen, when you get up to Pharaoh's court, will you mention me? Because I, I shouldn't even be down here. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a victim of my circumstances, and I've been this way for decades. Doesn't happen. He gets forgotten in prison again. Now, eventually, the Lord puts him at Pharaoh's right hand, and he orchestrates great prosperity for the kingdom of Egypt, and God brings his family back into his life. You know those backstabbers who betrayed him and sold him into slavery and caused these decades of suffering and difficulty. And so there's this great Jerry Springer moment in the Bible, right? And the family comes, and they realize that it's Joseph, and then Joseph delivers these words of grace in the midst of their fear. You intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. He's calling them out. It's no bones about it. It's a truth statement. But God, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done for the saving of many lives. I'm not going to let God's story go to get revenge. I'm going to hold on to his grace and power, not the offense. Wow. Psalm 73, 26, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Man, if you've been in one of these moments where you are at the end of you and you feel like you're going to fail, and you remember a verse like that, but God is my strength. I don't have to have strength right now because God is my strength. And so, Lord, I want to rely on you in my life in this moment because you are my portion and this very dissatisfying thing that I'm going through it is not what I have. You are what I have. Jesus is teaching his disciples. They're having a hard time believing. He's talking about how rich people have a hard time believing. And he says, with man, it is impossible for the rich to believe. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He will allow or provide a way of escape for you. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one, who will, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone will dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, in that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us but God demonstrates his own love. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. There could be a period there. That could be the end. But there's a comma. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2 starts with this wonderful thing. There's this spiritual force that's dominating the earth, the prince of the air, and he is ruling over the earth, and everyone on earth is under his reign and does the things that he desires. And some of you, all of you, were that way. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even as we were dead in our trespasses, made us together alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow, but God. And he didn't just do a little bit, right? Did you catch that? But God. He united you together with Jesus so that you have everlasting life, and he seated you in the heavenly places already. Your place in his kingdom is secure. He has future plans for you now. He's redeemed you more than you know. Jesus is coming into Joseph's life, and it seems like a problem. But God has greater plans. So there's another but moment in 120. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a great but moment. God is providing an adoptive father for Jesus, a man that he can learn from, a man that can lead him, a man that can understand, a man who is humble, 
a man who is willing to listen. How awesome is this moment that there's a God who is intervening in the difficult moments of our life to lead us and guide us. I think this is why it says in Proverbs, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. To not lean or trust in your own understanding, but to acknowledge him in all your ways. I think Joseph went to bed that night, and I think that it was a prayerful falling asleep. Lord, you know what I think I need to do, but I need to know this is for real, because if this is from you, I need to have better direction than my own thoughts. Your word is clear, Lord, but what are you doing here? This seems different. This seems new. What do you want, Lord? And this angel comes, and it doesn't stop there. He says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Wow, what a butt moment. Joseph learns of God's plan of salvation. Joseph learns that the Messiah will be the Savior. He knows that he's going to name him Jesus, which literally means God saves. He knows that he's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you know what happens in this moment? Joseph gets salvation. Joseph believes, right? That's what happens here. This is Joseph's but God moment. Have you had your but God moment yet? Kelly was just up here a little bit ago saying, God has a gift for you. Will you receive it? Have you had that moment in your life where you put your faith in Jesus for everlasting life? It will change you forever. It will work in your life in so many powerful ways. And I just want to encourage you, if if you haven't done that, to ask God, God, reveal yourself to me. God, I'm, I'm open to finding out about you. If you're willing, ask me. I'll sit down with you. I'll talk with you about these things. It's one of my greatest delights to have these conversations about Jesus with people who don't know Jesus yet because I know that he's about to do something big in your life. And so Joseph has his but God moment. How about you? Can you remember your but God moment? Do you have that joy of salvation still? You know, sometimes when I'm going through a dry spell in my faith because these things happen, what I do is I go back. And I remember that day in Dr. G's office when he just said, Chris, this is why Jesus died on the cross, so that your sins are taken away. There's this mind-blowing revelation to me. I was like, wow. And I walked into that office with sorrow and confusion, feeling condemned. And I walked out of that office with joy and delight and love and zeal and endurance. It was awesome. Have you taken time to remember the salvation that God has worked in your heart and give thanks? That could be a powerful uh, force for revival in your heart. And now Joseph is going to wake up. Big things happen when you make a right at the corner of your way and God's way. It's an important intersection. There's two ways. You have to choose one. You can either go your way or you can go God's way. It's a big deal. Max Lucado says this, Joseph is in that very typical place between what makes sense to him and what God says to do. It's important that when we're at that point in our lives where what makes sense to me and what God says to do, we go with what God says to do. We do what he desires us to do. There's goodness there. His ways are good ways. They're ways that lead to life. Have you asked yourself, do I find it important to do God's way? Do I, do I find it important to pursue God's will for my life? Is that a high priority for me, or do I like to pepper Jesus in when the meal's already cooked? Do I make all my decisions, and then right before I do it, I say, we're gonna pull the ripcord, Jesus, so be with us, amen. We live that way a lot, don't we? We really do. Joseph models something different for us. He's pursuing the Lord the whole time. He's listening to the Lord. He's obeying the Lord. We need to pursue things God's way. There's so much pressure on us right now to do things different ways, to not trust in the Lord with all of our understanding. I think about all of the choices that are laid before us, all of the beliefs that we have. Yeah, I I know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, but I can also buy those things. I can do that. I can make my life comfortable on my own, Lord. I can make sure that I'm happy and fat and well-fed and comfortable everywhere I go, God. Are you sure I have to seek you first? Because it, it works really well when I seek Amazon first, actually. 
works really well when I seek my comfort first and my security. It works really well when I seek my power and what I can do on my own, God, because I, I've managed to get this far in life and I can do it pretty well on my own. But big things happen when you make a right. You turn on to God's way and you walk in his paths. It says when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel commanded him. He married her. But he did not have sexual relationships, relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. He named him Jesus. Anybody else ever want to edit the Bible? Sometimes? I've said sexual relations more times than I would like in this sermon. Honestly, not my favorite. It's not even a term that I would use, right? Like, really? I feel like I'm George Clinton dating myself again, right? It's odd, but it highlights it over and over again in the text. Verse 18, it was discovered that before they came together, she was pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Wow. And then it says, you're to marry her, but not be with her. And then verse 25, they didn't have sexual relations until they're married. It's, it's like God's words trying to make something really clear. Whose kid is Jesus? God's, not Joseph's, God's. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. The text is trying to make that very clear. Have you ever heard somebody just proffer the rubbish, offer you the trash that at no point does it say in the Bible that Jesus is God? Have you heard that before? I have, quite often. It says it right here. He's God with us. It says it right here. The Holy Spirit caused this child to come about. This is not a normal child. We can flip to all sorts of places where Jesus says, like, I am. Before Abraham was, was, I was, right? The beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? It's very clear that Jesus is God. And in this text, it is emphasized. But there's another emphasis here. Joseph's obedience. Joseph's obedience. Men, how much self-control would it take? I mean, you're married now. You haven't been able to do the thing, and now you can do the thing. And how great is your desire to do the thing? I've done a lot of premarital counseling. One of the important things that needs to happen in premarital counseling is that the husband and wife are on the same page in many ways as possible, which means we have all of the conversations. So one of the conversations is this. How often do you like to have dessert with your spouse at the end of the day? Okay. How often is that moment important to you? we got to get this number worked out. You wouldn't believe whose number is always higher. It's uncanny. One time it wasn't, and I gave that guy a high five. I was like, good luck, right? Joseph shows a huge amount of self-control. Do you think that Joseph got to that level of self-control accidentally? No. Self-control works like a muscle. The more you exercise, the more you have. Your small acts of obedience add up to big things in God's plan and faith-filled courage in the face of difficulty. Joseph told, took the path of courage. He's got to be stepdad to the king of the universe. That's not very easy. Remember that moment in the temple when they go back to find Jesus and they find him in the temple and Joseph is talking to him about it. He says, where did you expect to find me? I was in my father's house doing my father's business. I think that unintentional dagger dug deeper than we measure in our reading of the text. He's dad. Wait, he's dad. There's humility in Joseph, and humility brings about great courage. In our culture, we've lost fact, the, 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 the fact of what courage really is. We, we declare that courage is seeking something that you really want, being yourself, being your best self, showing everybody who you are. That's not courage. That's called self-love. It's just the nature of it. But we've redefined courage to be the greatest expression of self-love that you have is the most courageous thing that you can do. False. Greater love has no man than he who would lay down his life for his friends. Selflessness is the path towards courage. And Joseph has taken that path. How important is it that we take the path of selflessness in life? Do you find it important to do that? I'm genuinely asking. Now, you don't have to tell me right now, but you need to ask, have I decided that selflessness is important? Am I acting like selflessness is 
important? Or have I decided that I can be the king of my life every day except one day, or at least 90 minutes one day, because that's what God wants for me? It's an amazing thing when we choose to be selfless. Great things start to happen in our lives because it makes great room for God to work. It's important for you to recognize that. Humility opens yourself up to the work of the Lord. Pride stifles the work of the Lord in our hearts. Remember it says that God gives grace to the humble, but what does He do to the proud? He opposes them. Why? There's no room for Him in that life. There's no room for Him in the life that is filled with itself. There is great room in the life that is filled with humility. And Joseph demonstrates that. God's story of the Bible is filled with stories of ordinary people through whom God does extraordinary things. Can you guys name any of those people? Abraham. Abraham. Amen. He's just a guy, and he's married, and he's barren. His wife has got no kids. But God does extraordinary things. And is Abraham perfect? No, not at all. He makes huge mistakes, right? Whoa, this beautiful woman here? She is available. That's his wife, man. It's not what you do. You're not a used car salesman. You're a husband. Act like one, man. Anybody else? Who? Moses, Esther, David. Amen. Moses. Moses was a good guy, right? Until he got angry. Then look out, right? And then what does he do after he makes a mistake? Runs and hides. Runs and hides. God shows up in a burning bush. Moses, do some cool things. Put your hand in your robe. Bring it out again. It's leprosy. Oh no, put it in again. It's like a baby's skin. That's amazing. Throw your rod on the ground. It's a snake. Grab the tail. It's a rod. Wow. Look at the things I can do in the Lord. Now I need you to go to Pharaoh. But, 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 but that's all, folks. He turns into Porky Pig, right? This is God's chosen spokesman, a guy who's tongue-tied. David. David was amazing. And he's the forgotten child. Remember, everybody's lined up before Samuel the prophet. Samuel the prophet's choosing the king. Goes to each one. This is a handsome guy. Is this the guy, Lord? He looks like he could be a king. Look at those shoulders. Look at that full head of hair. That's a winning smile. And I know a winning smile, Lord. Nope, not him. I look at the heart. Goes all the way down the line. The Lord says that none of your sons are the king. Uh, Do you have another kid? Is there somebody you forgot? Is there one on the way? I'll anoint the wife. Where is the child, right? Oh, Davy. We always forget about Davy. He's just out with the sheep, but he's a little unbalanced. Been out there a little too long. He's woolly-headed, if you get my drift, right? Davy comes in. This is the king. This is the king. This is great. Does David live a perfect life after that? No. Murders one of his best friends. Takes his wife. God says, don't count the people. I am your strength. What does David says? We need to count the people to know our strength. David makes mistakes. His household becomes divided later. David makes mistakes. Esther. Is Esther perfect? She seems pretty close to perfect, doesn't she? We don't get any faults. God's word is gracious to Esther. But she's ordinary, isn't she? She's just a small town girl living in a lonely world, you know? God just has a great opportunity for her. I know, I'm hitting every generation of songs. I need to get some newer pop for you younger folks. I'll work on that, right? God uses ordinary people. God's willing to use you. God is willing to use you. This is a story of the work of God. God says, where does he want this story? Here and here. Why? So that you'll know that it's not about you being awesome. It's not the Disney gospel. You do not have to be sparkly and shiny and spectacular for Jesus to use you. You could be woolly-headed and out with the sheep. You could be the forgotten little girl. You can go to your cousin's place when you get pregnant. God will still use you. He's going to work in your life because that's what he does. Because he's faithful and because he's merciful. And so Joseph is in the Bible and he's silent in the Bible so that we will know that God uses ordinary people to use extraordinary things. But I'm not making this up. God says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying this, 
God, in the darkness of your light, has sh- life has shined the glory of Jesus into your life so that you would know Jesus and so that you would know his glory. Wow, God has revealed himself to you. Do you realize the privileged position you're in if God has revealed himself to you? Just take a moment and think about that. How important is it that God has done that? And then he says this, and now we have this treasure, the revelation of God, the person of Jesus Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, which is a clay jar, which literally means crackpot. And that's why Uncle Larry's okay at Christmas, right? It means a broken vessel that's being made whole so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. So why is Joseph in the Bible? Because Joseph's life is perfect for revealing the glory and strength of God. And if you feel inadequate, and if you know your flaws, and you can see the mistakes you made last week, and you're willing to be humble about it, and you're willing to say, Lord, would you come into my life and use me? You know what he's going to do? He's going to say yes, and he's going to say amen. And he says, let's do some awesome things together and keep living that ordinary life because I'm going to present you with ordinary opportunities because there's going to be a cashier who's selling you lactate-free milk who needs to hear that Jesus loves you and would you like to come to my church this week? There's going to be a neighbor who needs a sugar cookie with the, the crutch or something or some candy cane and you could go over there and just say, Merry Christmas, Jesus loves you. And your sister's going to need you to call her on Wednesday and pray for her because she's having a hard time. And your pastor's going to need pastor encouragement month. And you're going to need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, it feels weird today, but Jesus still loves you today because the extraordinary power of God is in you. And he's willing to do extraordinary things in your life if you just be like Joseph and be ordinary, but believe in an extraordinary God. So... Do you believe in the extraordinary God? Do you trust that he can do extraordinary things in your life and through your faith? Because I believe. So this is what I want you to do. We're going to close our eyes right now. We're not going to make a big show. We're going to do an ordinary thing. And if this is you and you would like God to do extraordinary things in your life, I want you to respond by just putting your hands in in your lap in front of you like this. Just a symbol of being ready to receive And we're just going to pray that God would be willing to do extraordinary things with ordinary us and our ordinary faith. Father, I'm just a guy. I put my pants on this morning one leg at a time. I do all the things that I do every day. But God, you do all the things that you do every day. We have ordinary faith, God, but you are an extraordinary God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do extraordinary things in our lives. Lord, the exceeding measure of your greatness we can't contain The power of your glory we cannot hold, but somehow it can shine through us. And so we pray, God, that you would take our lives and you would make them an awesome offering to the praise of your glorious grace. Father, help us to be humble. Help us to be faithful. And thank you that you use ordinary people like us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's stand and rejoice in the Lord for his glorious gift of Jesus Christ.